you can't exercise your way out of a terrible diet. The food we eat will ultimately become the cells that I have. Resetters, Dr. Mindy here, and I am on a mission to teach you just how powerful your body was built to be. This podcast is about giving you the power back and helping you believe in yourself again. Let's jump in. On this episode of the Resetter Podcast, I bring you Dr. Terry Walls. So why I wanted to bring Dr. Walls on is I really wanted to leave an episode for you all on autoimmunity. And if there is a pioneer in the autoimmune movement, it is Dr. Walls. So if you are not familiar with her book, with her own journey with an autoimmune condition, I want to bring you up to speed because... She literally changed the way we looked at approaching multiple autoimmune conditions. Her specific one is MS. And you will hear her story in the beginning of how she was really able to mitigate her MS symptoms through diet primarily and supplementation. You'll hear her talk about that. But where this conversation really goes and why I wanted her to really give us a big, broad picture of autoimmune conditions is you will see that it's everything from diet to toxicity to stress to this modern world that we're living in. We even dove into human connection and the power of human connection on the healing response. She also entertained my science brain by diving into a concept that's really being uh, brought to light right now called the cel cellular danger response or cellular defense response, which is at the root of all chronic diseases, especially autoimmune conditions. So this is a really thorough discussion on autoimmunity. Dr. Walls is an incredible researcher, incredible doctor, uh, an incredible person. You will definitely feel her heart. You will see how thorough she is in her approach to chronic disease. And I hope whether you are dealing with an autoimmune condition, you have a relative with an autoimmune condition, or you want to prevent an autoimmune condition, that you really get some incredible insight from this discussion. So as always, leave me a review. Let me know how you resonated with this. And I hope it helps. Here you go, Dr. Terry Waltz. Enjoy. Hey, Recenters, as we step into the new year, I am so thrilled to invite you on an extremely transformative journey with me in my Reset Academy. So check this out. If you're ready to kickstart your fasting and health journey, which I know so many of you have reached out to us and asked how you customize a fasting lifestyle for you, my Reset Academy is the absolute best place to be. So here's what you get in the academy, and I like to think of it in terms of a complete picture. So imagine being surrounded by people who understand your journey, who are passionate for fasting, who want to lift you up and will support you every step of the way. My academy is not just me, my team, but it is an incredible group of people that are all dedicated to building fasting lifestyles and supporting each other in it. This is why I created the Reset Academy. So when you join, you gain access to all the exclusive calls where my team and I share the latest insights, we answer your burning questions, and we guide you towards your health goals. That's not it. We didn't stop there. 
By becoming a member, you're not just investing in a membership, but you're investing in yourself. I am such a fan of setting you up to win this year. And my academy is the best place I know to do that. I want to keep you focused. I want you to customize this for you. And I want you to succeed at your health goals this year. End of story. So if you're ready to unlock your fullest potential and embrace a fasting lifestyle, join me. If it feels good, join me. And let's make this year an incredible year for us all. So all you got to do is go visit drmindypels.com slash Reset Academy to become a member. I can't wait to welcome you. I can't wait to see you on the Zoom calls. I can't wait to be in community with you. And most importantly, let's get your health goals handled and let's do this together. It's so much better together. Together. So that's drmindypels.com slash Reset Academy. Excited to see you there. I've been following your work on autoimmunity and MS for years since the TED, the famous TED talk yeah. you, you had. So if for my audience, can you just give a little background on um, w- your experience with MS and, and your research well, on autoimmunity? Why don't I tell the story sort of as a go for it. It's a great story. Please tell. So, it. so 20 years ago, I'm out walking with my wife, Jackie, my left leg grows weak dragging it a hobble home. Uh, and the next day I uh, see the neurologist who says, Terry, this could be bad or really, really bad. Uh, so at night uh, in bed next to Jackie, I think about my zingers uh, due to trigeminal neuralgia that have been getting relentlessly worse for 20 years. And I pray secretly for a fatal diagnosis. Mm. Now, three weeks later, I hear multiple sclerosis. Three years later, I hear tilt recline wheelchair. Hmm. Uh, clearly things are getting uh, continually worse. My zingers are worse. Uh, my face pain turns on. My 10-year-old daughter hugs me as tears stream down my face. Wow. I'm a physician. Night after night, I go to PubMed to read the basic science, and I begin experimenting on myself. And I think mitochondria are the big drivers. The speed of my decline slows. Then I discover a study using electrical stimulation muscles. I ask my physical therapist, can I try that? He says it's for athletes. He calls it e-stim. But he does give me a test session, which hurts like hell. Mm. But when it's over, I feel great. And so we add e-stim to my physical therapy. My physicians have all said, because I have secondary progressive multiple sclerosis, functions once lost will not come back. Uh, That's why I've been so aggressive with my treatments. Um, but now I, I, I'm, I'm wondering, am I really doing all that I can uh, to slow my decline? Mm. So I redesigned my paleo diet that I've been on for five years based on all the science uh, that I've read and, and uh, the functional medicine course that I've just taken. And that is when the magic happens. My pain is stopped. My mental clarity improves. My energy improves. And uh, I'm able to begin walking again. And then for the first time in six years, with my son jogging alongside on the left, my daughter on the right, I get on my bike and I bike around the block. Crazy. My kids are crying. My wife's crying. I'm crying. And of course, this changes how I think about disease and health. It will ultimately change the way I practice medicine. 
and it will change the focus of my research. Mm. And so what, what did you discover about the mitochondria? Because now, I mean, that was years ago. You really yeah, pi- yeah. pioneered the, the idea that you can heal chronic disease by healing the mitochondria. Yeah. So what um, did you discover? So, you know, as I was reading the basic science, um, at first I was looking for drug studies. Then I had the aha, like, well, I, I got to look for things that I could access. Uh, and so I started looking for supplement studies. Uh, and I was reading, um, f- I was looking for progressive neurologic disorders because I, I, I wasn't really having relapses. I, I just had this slow progressive decline. And so I thought I had more in common with Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, Huntington's, ALS. I was reading that literature. And for all of those disease states, mitochondria seemed to be the key driver. Uh, and so uh, no one was yet talking about mitochondria for MS, mm. but I thought mitochondria are the, probably the driver. What can I do to help my mitochondria out? So, you know, I was slowly building a supplement cocktail for my mitochondria. Uh, and, you know, then I discovered the Institute for Functional Medicine. They had a longer list of supplements, which I, you know, happily added. Uh, and I, as mentioned, I discovered E-STEM and I uh, was doing that. Uh, and then that summer I had like, you know, I wonder if I um, figure out where these are uh, in the food supply, all these things I'm taking in supplement form mm. that mm. probably get, you know, more nutrients that were important that really hadn't been named yet. Uh, and so I, I now created a very structured paleolithic diet that uh, I started following, uh, and that was in December of uh, 2007. Uh, and in that first month, um, at the end of January of 2008, I realized my energy is definitely improving. Mm. My um, mental clarity is improving. And my trigeminal neuralgia was less. And then my physical therapist was saying, you're getting stronger. We're going to, uh, he was advancing my exercises and he had me start starting to lift weights. Amazing. So now, they were little tiny weights, mind you. Because, yeah. You know, I was, I was very, very uh, disabled yeah, at that time. So what I'm thinking about the paleo diet. So you used the paleo diet to heal the mitochondria. Mm-hmm. And now we have a lot of talk about the ketogenic diet and the, yeah. the power of ketones. What are the differences so, between those two? Um, so we're, we're going to sort of, uh, walk through the you know, standard American diet, very high in carbs, high in fructose, high glycemic index foods. Uh, yeah. And, uh, not so many vegetables right now, the average is one and a half servings a day. Wow. Um, so that's shockingly terrible. Horrible. Um, and I had done the autoimmune, uh, protocol AIP diet. I had not uh, recovered from that. Um, when I redesigned my diet, at first it was sort of a, a list of here are the foodstuffs to eat. And then when I started teaching it, that's when I thought deeply and said, okay, I have to make some, a framework uh, to give people some guidance. Um, the the Walls uh, Paleo diet uh, probably has about uh, 50 to 80 grams uh, of carbs in it. Mm. So okay. it, it's... Um, 
Uh, and then if I go on the ketogenic version of my diet, now it's 25 to 50 grams of carbs. Uh, and then I, I also have a um, vegetarian version of the Wall's diet, and that's probably more like 80 to 120 grams of carbs. So, so it depends on which version of my dietary plan people are doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I, and I certainly have the vegetarian option for people who are vegetarian for spiritual reasons mm-hmm. and also for people who are um, vegetarian, doing more vegetarian meals because of the economics of it. Yeah. And, and uh, thanks for, it's so great that you have a vegetarian version because what I've noticed in the ketogenic paleo world is that vegetarianism can sort of be uh, criticized. Um, well, and so explain where you can use vegetarian diet in this manner to really heal those mitochondria. So the first thing I think we all um, should be mindful of that some people are vegetarian or vegan for their deeply held spiritual beliefs. Yep. Uh, and if you, and they may have a medical reason why you want them to eat meat. And so you can present that. Uh, and, um, but I need to acknowledge their spiritual beliefs. And uh, for many, it's important enough that they, to force them to eat meat wounds them spiritually. And so that, that is just not going to work. Mm-hmm. For that person, um, I need to be sure they're getting sufficient protein. So that's going to be a um, gluten-free grain and a legume combination. And I'll put it in a pressure cooker to reduce the lectins. I also want to be sure that they have plenty of omega-3 fats and omega-6 fats. I would probably use a DHA uh, from uh, an algae source. So I can honor their vegetarian, uh, vegan uh, uh, spiritual beliefs, although I may ask them how they feel about krill oil, um, uh, that might be okay to them, or or it might not be. Uh, and uh, we'll still want to have plenty of omega three fat, omega six fat. I'll certainly encourage a lot of uh, olive oil, uh, and then uh, non starchy vegetables. It may be more, uh, and then I'll have to watch their glucose, their insulin, see if they have any metabolic syndrome right. that we have to address and sort out, uh, and nav- help them navigate that. Yeah. So one of the first teachings that I really grasped from your journey was that ketones heal the mitochondria. Well, ketones are, are well, so ketones are very helpful. I, I want to remind your listeners that our mitochondria can burn ketones, they can burn glucose, they can also burn amino acids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, interestingly, as we age, our brains become somewhat less effective at utilizing glucose, mm-hmm. um, but we continue to, for most of us, we'll continue to be able to use ketones and uh, amino acids uh, fairly well. And we'll still be very vulnerable to a sudden crash in glucose, um, so you can so it, if you're diabetic, you're taking uh, uh, glucose lowering medications. The diabetics still have to be very careful to keep the blood sugars even. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, certainly, you can benefit uh, from having ketones. Uh, but you can also um, have your mitochondria burn uh, amino acids as well. 
So would you would it be fair to say that as we age, ketones and amino acids become more necessary because they're such a usable resource? Um, as we age, you'll probably benefit from more ketones. Um, and certainly, you know, I think it's interesting if you look at all of this from an evolutionary biology perspective. Um, our ancestors, you know, six million years ago, we're, we're much closer to the primates. We begin to separate. We start eating more um, uh, animal proteins. We are still having a lot of greens, um, a lot of, uh, of um, uh, relatively non-starchy uh, vegetables. We gradually eat more animal proteins. We're eating long bones. We're having uh, uh, bone marrow uh, uh, and brains uh, and uh, shellfish uh, that we're having. And we have to work incredibly hard to get our food. Mm -hmm. uh, the men in the clan run down big game by endurance, which might take all day uh, in the big game, follow, keel over, fall over. Uh, and then they, you know, carry the big game back. So the men are in ketosis on the basis of physical activity. The women in the clan are probably also in ketosis on the basis of physical activity, uh, although they're only traveling maybe two miles from the uh, campsite. Uh, uh, they're, they're doing their foraging, carrying food back. Because if, if you if you're physically active for uh, a couple of hours of moderate physical activity, you've burned up your glycogen. Mm -hmm. So our ancestors were in ketosis, most often on the basis of physical activity. We would also be on the basis in ketosis on the basis of we, we ate up all of our food. Right. So, yeah. well, you know, we, we don't have food on hand. That's why we had to go out and, and do our work together. We get our food and then we get to eat. Uh, probably a higher protein diet, uh, uh, some fat, uh, and uh, uh, probably a fair amount of leafy uh, greens uh, and perhaps some root vegetables that are dirty. And occasionally we get to have berries uh, in the fall. And so we go from a fat burning state to a fed state. So there's a fair amount of metabolic switching going back and forth. And probably the spontaneous mutations that occur that make us more efficient in uh, switching between the key, key, uh, burning ketones and the uh, fed state uh, that offer survival advantage from being able to switch back and forth easily uh, increase in mm -hmm. our uh, genome. And that, that's how we survived. And then, then your species shows up 250,000 years ago. Uh, and so between then and now is uh, about 64,000 generations. In most of that time, we were, I had lots of physical activity. I had to work really hard to get your food. Then you'd have enough food to eat. You'd eat. And then you'd have to go back out and work really hard to get your food again. This concept of having food all of the time, eating all the time, is really a very new concept. At, at best, only 10,000 years old. Hmm. Probably more likely, for most people, only about 300 years old. And this continuous, really continuous eating that we have um, uh, is probably only about 50 years old. Crazy. 
It's crazy when you put it in that perspective. And so um, um, it would, my observation is it would appear continuous feeding, high stress, inactivity, low vitamin D, high glycemic index food. That's all part of the uh, environment that just, you know, appeared in the last hundred years. Yeah, and, and so in my practice, in my tribe, I invite people to like, okay, let's begin to do a better job of aligning my environment so it's a better match to how my DNA evolved. Yeah, agree. And so you can decide that I'm just going to fix everything all at once. That's a few people can do that. Most of us have to do things sort of one at a time one achievable behavior change at a time. Yeah. So do you, would it be fair to say that when we're eating all day, when we can sit on our couch and have DoorDash come to our straight, straight to our front door, that when we're eating pro- highly processed foods, we are literally going against our genetic design? Oh, you know, absolutely. Um, our ancestors couldn't, couldn't do that. Um, right. And our, our biology is such that um, we're we're set to crave sugar. Um, why do we crave sugar? It, 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 interesting question. Um, there aren't many mammals that can't make vitamin C. Mm. Uh, I believe it's uh, hamsters and humans uh, and some primates. Interesting. Uh, Perlmutter posited that he said so. Uh, and, and we also lay down fat far more effectively than most primates. He said, so why, you know, why did that become an advantage? His theory, and it's, it's certainly a very interesting one, is that the earth cooled, uh, um, uh, he said 15 million years ago. I, I don't know the, the stats uh, as well, so I, I'm, I'm quoting Perlmutter here. Uh, but those ancestors who couldn't make um, vitamin C had to eat more fruit and eat more, so more berries, so more fructose. Uh, uh, and berries have lots of vitamin C in them. And if you have more fructose, you lay down more fat. And if you lay down more fat, you're more likely to survive a cold challenge. Mm. You're more also more likely to have reproductive success uh, in the women. Your milk uh, will be uh, more productive uh, as a woman. Uh, and so you'll have a higher uh, survivorship. Uh, and it probably also made it possible for us to grow our bigger brains. Mm. Uh, and so history was losing our ability to make vitamin C ensured that we'd have to eat more fruit. Oh. And that ensured that we'd have to, ha- uh, that increased the ability to store fat, uh, which increased milk production in, in the ladies and bigger brains for everybody. Interesting theory. Uh, I don't know um, uh, what my other evolutionary biology folks would think of that, but okay, well, that's, uh, it, it's, a, it's, it's a good question to ask. So why did it become helpful for humans why did it become a survival advantage to not be able to make your own vitamin C? Right. Because that that normally goes up when you're 
severely stressed or fighting an infection. And the fact that it can't for us makes us more vulnerable to infections. And then how do you, you know, where my brain goes with that is like, how do we rectify that with the need to keep glucose down? Because if we start to go towards fruits to get our vitamin C, well, we so our strategic about which our ones. ancestors, how big, how big were fruits in the wild? They're not the kind of not, fruits that you yeah. and I get uh, in the grocery store. So yeah, not mangoes when, when, and papayas. When, when I go out into the wild to forage, uh, you know, uh, fruits are very small. Mm. Uh, crab apples are very small. Mm. Uh, uh, plums are a little bit larger, sweet, incredibly delicious. Wild grapes are quite small. Uh, the berries are all really quite small. Uh, and so... Uh, we we would consume those. Uh, they would be delicious. They'd be available more and more in the fall. Uh, that's a, a, a signal for storing more fat uh, in the fall to make it easier to survive uh, the winter. Now, how? But again, you could you could raise the question that that may be faulty logic because we evolved in equatorial Africa, and mm-hmm. so winter wasn't probably a big thing. Um, but still, having more fruit in our diet and more fat in our belly with more milk production would, would, would be a huge advantage whether or not you have to face winter. And having more fat in our belly to let us grow a bigger brain uh, turns out to be helpful. So do you think we become this culture that's obsessed with thin do you feel like we're actually should be having carrying a layer of fat then on our body? Is that is that well, a helpful tool for our brains? I, I think uh, becoming underweight, body mass index of eighteen point five, uh, certainly markedly increases frailty. Mm. So um, I think underweight has very serious health consequences. Healthy weight eighteen point five to um, uh, 21, you know, that that's, uh, I think it's healthy weight goes all the way up to uh, 24.9, I think. So uh, the optimal weight, I think, is a BMI of 20 to 21, which is still very, very lean. Right, right. So we have to put it in perspective is what I hear. Correct. Yeah. So I've teamed up with Tony Horton. Do you know Tony Horton? He was the creator of P90X, one of the most revolutionary at-home fitness programs. And we created together a new fitness program called Power Sync 60. And it is literally, this program's never been done. It is a revolutionary 60-day program for both men and women. So here's why I want you to join us is that we literally created PowerSync 60 with you in mind. So it doesn't matter if you're a cycling woman, a postmenopausal woman, or a man, one of the things I brought to Tony was that when we work out, we have to think about our hormones. And he had never done that in the millions of workouts that he's created in his lifetime. We also included a free bonus meal plan and a customized tailor way you can eat right for yourself. Also, of course, we put some fasting in there and it was a beautiful meeting of the minds. 
So I, it, this is like a passion project that I'm so excited to share with you. And in order to get it, all you got to do is visit drmindy.org and use the code PS60PELS. So PS60 and then my last name, PELS, P-E-L-Z, to get 20% off. And you get lifetime access to the program. So that's drmindy.org and you use the code PS60PELS to join all of us. I'm actually doing this myself right now. So come join me, my community on this incredible journey. I am so proud to bring this to you. So the other concept, nutritional concept that you really brought to people's attention was organ meats and the power mm. of organ meats on the mitochondria. Are you and they're so delicious. Like, oh my God, you know, our, our ancestors, yeah, absolutely uh, treasured organ meats, you know, treasured brain, uh, heart, uh, uh, liver, uh, kidneys, uh, thymus, uh, uh, bone marrow, uh, mm. uh, uh, bone broth. The, these were all uh, vital. Uh, and of course, our ancestors ate nose to tail. They, they consumed uh, the entire organism. Yeah, you know, we, we dove into some organ meats here in my household, and it turns out that we like chicken hearts. My 19-year-old son like downed a bowl of chicken hearts that I just cooked yeah. in onions and garlic. And it was so good, but my brain w- really struggled to eat them because they look like little hearts. Um, well, uh, another really great recipe. Okay. Uh, um, put some, uh, some you, you eat bacon, put bacon uh, in the uh, oven, uh, bake it for uh, 10 minutes or so. Uh, so it's a little bit done. Then uh, put a layer of chicken livers on the pan, lay the bacon across the top, put it back in the oven uh, about 275 um, uh, degrees. Uh, and now you're going to have to watch it intermittently, uh, keep checking the liver. You want it to be uh, pink, but mm-hmm. not bloody. Okay. Uh, and they will just sort of melt in your mouth. Uh, it's incredibly delicious. Oh, I, I think you if you wrap, start drooling. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, I, I think if you wrap, put bacon on anything, it seems to make it a whole lot better. Yeah, you know, uh, that's because um, our, our cell membranes are fat. Mm. Uh, there's cholesterol, saturated fat. <clears throat> and then there's uh, about 10% omega-3 fat. Uh, and one percent um, uh, uh, omega six fat. We we have to have that cholesterol and the saturated fat to make our cell membranes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the low fat craze uh, uh, cr- uh, created a, a lot of strain mm-hmm. uh, uh, and makes it more likely that our cell membranes may be struggling, which makes it more likely that your myelin in your brain may not mm-hmm. be as robust as it would have been if it had uh, maintained your cholesterol uh, at a somewhat higher level. Do, do you feel like we could solve most autoimmune conditions by just looking at the nutritional needs of, the cell, of our cells? It have a huge impact. Absolutely. Uh, um, I, I tell my my patients that you can't um, exercise your way out of a terrible diet. Uh, that 
um, the, the food we eat will ultimately become the cells that I have. And so if I don't eat the um, nutrients that my cells require, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to uh, re- repair the broken down cells or uh, maintain myself. And I will uh, wrap, have aging at a much more rapid rate. Mm-hmm. I will have uh, more complications if I have autoimmunity. I will have more anxiety, depression. I will have more uh, metabolic dysfunction. Now, for, for some of my folks, and we've done this in, in dietary studies that I do, um, we'll see these dramatic imp- reductions in fatigue, dramatic mm. improvements in quality of life by changing their diet. And we, and we tell them, you know, please don't add exercise or stress reduction because we're, we're trying to measure the impact of diet. Mm. And, you know, in general, people actually follow that instruction and they, and they, because we put little monitors on them so we know if they were exercising more or not. And so we see that in my clinical trials, changing their diet can lead to remarkable changes in the um, autoimmune health of these mm. individuals. And if you had to give, I know you have this all in your book, so I definitely want to, um, and, and you have incredible resources online. I want to direct everybody there. But if you were to create a checklist for the nutritional needs of our cells, could you do that? Like, is it? Oh a yeah, five? sure. So, so uh, key things, get rid of the sugar, get rid of the highly processed foods, replace them with non-starchy vegetables, uh, streff greens, cabbage family, onion family, mushroom family, uh, and color. Be sure you have um, plenty of protein uh, and we have to sort out, are you a meat eater or not a meat eater? And then we want to uh, talk about, um, are you interested in a fasting strategy? Um, are you someone that we should consider ketosis? Should we do ketosis through a um, time-restricted eating or a uh, fasting strategy? Uh, should we do metabolic switching? Um, so there are a variety of a variety of ways to personalize all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, what I the other thing they teach is we'll be much more successful if we do this as a family. Mm, I love that. That you know, I have a uh, my community. We fast a lot together, and um, I have a term that I refer to called a fasting lifestyle. And I always say that there's four pieces to it that you need to know what you're trying to accomplish with your fasting efforts. Uh, You need to vary your fasts, vary your foods and do it in community. Because I feel like we have lost sight of the healing power of community. And when when I hear you say family, that's what I hear is you are, are talking about pulling people together that you love and uh, doing health with them. Many of our um, Christian, uh, pardon me, our religious traditions include a fasting component as part of their religious experience. Uh, the Christians have uh, a Lent uh, mm. fasting period, uh, Ramadan uh, in the uh, Muslim community. Uh, uh, fasting uh, as a purification, spiritual purification practice, is a healing practice. Uh, we've been doing this across many cultures uh, and all of our continents, probably since uh, humans uh, have um, uh, emigrated from Africa. Yeah, which is whenever somebody says that they're nervous about fasting, I always say it's a, yeah, I get it, but it's like sleep. It's a very healing response for the body. So 
Yeah, 100% agree with you. Where do you feel like toxins fit into this? Because I know you're doing a lot of uh, discussion right now on mycotoxins, uh, hormones, autoimmunity. Where where did the toxins fit in? Well, uh, toxins um, are a threat uh, to our cell biology. They can Mm -hmm. interfere with normal cellular function. Uh, And so we have biologic toxins, as in the biotoxins. We have uh, synthetic toxins that we have created in and out part of our um, atmosphere, our water, our food that our bodies have to process and eliminate in that will have biologic consequences. Uh, uh, so w- we talk about that in my book. We'll, we'll be talking about that in our uh, seminar series that comes up uh, uh, very shortly, June 9th and 10th. But Yes. Yeah. Have you heard of a, a term? This is something that we've been studying in my community called a cellular danger response. Or yeah, cellular- the cell danger response. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so there's a lovely quote that, um, this, you know, the cell defense is a very ancient biologic response that the cells have to be able to recognize a threat and respond appropriately. Uh, and so the, you know, the molecules that reside normally inside the cell are doing their important biological stuff they have to do to run the cell inside the cell. But if they escape the cell, for example, ATP, if it gets outside the cell, now that ATP molecule will interact on the cell membrane and the neighboring cells will say, there's a threat here. Mm. So um, that will activate the intracellular machinery to create um, inflammatory uh, inflammation producing molecules that activate the innate immune system because the innate immune system will then come in and neutralize the threat, uh, eat up the damaged cells. Uh, and um, the question that, that the, everyone's talking about is, okay, the cell danger response is, is vital to our survivorship. How do we help the body respond appropriately to the threat and, and then resolve the threat and turn off the cell danger response? Uh, and so, again, that's uh, something that I'm talking about in, in my community as well, that uh, it, it's vital. It's uh, a necessary part of life. Why does it say on abnormally? Yeah. And I think it explains why some people do everything to get well, and they just aren't gaining some momentum with their healing. It's direct. So they're stuck uh, with it uh, chronically on. Yeah. And do you feel like the cellular danger response is not just a nutritional thing, not just a toxic thing? There's also a thought and trauma, emotional trauma all, to it. Correct. Correct. It, it's it's all, it's it's everything. It's the whole exposome. Uh, it may have to do with early life stress. It may have to do with sleep. It may have to do with your hormones. It may have to do with toxins. It may have to do with nutrition. Uh, and you know, in my practice, we go through the exposome uh, and say, okay, we'll have to address uh, things as we can, step by step by step. Mm-hmm. I, I also note that uh, 
and again, this is part of what we can discuss is it will depend on where you are in um, the disease process uh, that have you gotten so far along that we're not going to be able to stop uh, and reverse uh, and restore health, that all we can do is slow the decline. Mm. Uh, and there will be uh, people um, uh, with their complex chronic disease that science yet does not know. Mm. Even the best functional medicine approach doesn't know how to stop the decline, that the disease processes may be too advanced. Yeah. And do you, th- it, it, Boats the question of the way we need to approach health when we're in those chronic conditions is very personalized because we don't know what's triggering this this response. Everybody, what's triggering it in you may be different in, than what's it, triggered it in me. It will be it will be unique. Yes. Now you'll you can still have some common themes in terms of um, I, I want to investigate the exposome as thoroughly as I can uh, in that person's story as thoroughly as I can and begin to collaboratively uh, address all of those factors at a pace that 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 person and that family can manage. Right. And that that's key is how do you put it into the lifestyle of the person, I think is correct. Absolutely key. So when it comes to autoimmunity, what would it be fair to say that it's not like there's one drug, one diet, one specific thing that's going to help a, well, an immune system balance. Um, if we if we look at uh, the drugs for uh, MS, the, the very best drugs can reduce the relapse rate by sixty four percent. Those the which, which is a very exciting uh, benchmark, huge response rate. In our clinical trials, I would say in my clinics at the VA. Uh, in the clinic, 70 to 80 percent of the folks had a really remarkable response to our diet and lifestyle program. Mm. So, very high success rate. It's not going to be 100 uh, percent. And then, and that it was at the VA when I couldn't do more advanced functional medicine testing. In no doubt, if I'd had those resources, we could have increased the number of folks that uh, would respond. In my clinical trials, where all I got to do was the diet. I mean, that, that's it. We could just put them on the diet. We could see, again, 70 to 80% having a very nice response to reduce fatigue, reduce pain, improved quality of life. Crazy. That's not with any kind of personalization based on you know, their lipids, their vitamin D, their homocysteine. And so that really is quite dramatic. That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So. If they came to see me as a as a private patient, and now we do diet, lifestyle, personalized testing, it's it's we can have remarkable uh, improvements. And if they have motor difficulties, you know, uh, difficulty walking or with the hand function, uh, and now we add in physical therapy, occupational therapy to address that rehabilitation, we can achieve some remarkable improvements not all in function in addition mm-hmm. to uh, the quality of life 
And is this the same for all autoimmune conditions? I know you're yeah. studying MS, but is so, it the same for everything? Absolutely. So my clinical trials are for multiple sclerosis. My clinics at the VA and my private clinic and, and then in my tribe, we have all sorts of autoimmune issues, mm-hmm. rheumatoid arthritis, inflammatory bowel disease, systemic lupus. There are literally hundreds of autoimmune conditions that we take care of. Uh, and then most of uh, those folks who have an autoimmune problem also have other significant comorbid problems, anxiety, depression, mm. high blood pressure, uh, insulin resistance. Very, very commonly has not been recognized by their primary care team um, uh, and, and um, specialist team because they didn't know that people with autoimmunity have much higher rates of uh, metabolic syndrome. So uh, we also help deal with uh, those issues as well. And is it true that autoimmune conditions tend to, I've always heard that they they hang out in gangs, that you, once you get one, then you get another one, and it's you, very common to have It's multiple. very common. if you So you get your first autoimmune disease, and you see your specialist for that autoimmune disease, and start the disease-modifying drugs for that. If you've not addressed any of the diet and lifestyle environmental factors, over the next, the underlying disease processes will continue. Mm -hmm. And every decade, five to 10 years, you'll pick up another autoimmune diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so certainly in our clinical trials, uh, we saw that um, uh, the longer people had their MS, the more likely they were to have a second uh, and third or more uh, autoimmune conditions. And so if you're put on a medication that's and, and you're getting great results with the medication, that's only one part of the story is what I hear. You it's have only one to, part. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, you know, I want to be clear that it's a clinical decision for your autoimmune condition. Are you on disease-modifying drug and what level of medication you need? Fortunately, there are more specialists that are now saying diet and lifestyle matter, mm-hmm. um, but they usually don't have the expertise to help you improve your diet or lifestyle. And so they send people to primary care. They tell them, you know, go get some books. I, I really don't pay attention to it, but I don't know how to help you with that. I, and there are certainly more neurologists, more neuroscientists all agreeing that diet and lifestyle matter. And, you know, next week, I'll be going to the Consortium of MS Centers. I will be presenting some of our research. Uh, and you know, every year when we go, um, there are more lectures about diet and lifestyle. And there are more neurologists coming up to me saying, can I get a picture with you? My patients would so appreciate that. Uh, and, and, and so that's sort of fun. Yeah. So do you think, there are we moving in a direction where there are more autoimmune cases going on uh, in the absolutely. world right now? The, yeah. the rates, rates are steadily increasing. And at younger ages, uh, earlier... Uh, more um, earlier onset of disability, earlier onset of loss of work. And do, would it be fair to say that it's really the the confounders of this modern world that we're in, that our ancient healing body is stuck in a modern world and that's a mismatch? Well, um, certainly many of our chronic diseases are uh, mismatch diseases that um, our current environment is radically different than what the environment we're in 10,000 years ago, or even 100 years ago. Hmm. 
Yeah. And if you were to stop, if you, let's say you were the general surgeon of America uh, and you were to try to stop the progression of autoimmunity right now, you wanted to change the direction it's going, what, what would you say? Well, so the the kind of things that I would love to see happen is um, uh, phasing out of the subsidies for soybean uh, and Mm -hmm. corn. Uh, And if we're going to subsidize anything, subsidize uh, vegetables. Oh, uh, that th- that would be uh, lovely. Um, I, I appreciate the desire to have more uh, protein, uh, so so that that's a a, a separate conversation. I'd, I'd rather see regenerative farming take some of our um, marginal lands out of corn and soybean, put them back to uh, pastures, uh, and have a, a push towards gardening, a push towards. Uh, uh, in World War II, we had victory gardens. Everyone, 80% of the world of the United States had their victory garden and they were growing their own vegetables and food. Uh, so if we had victory gardens for chronic disease, taught children uh, and parents how to cook, how to meal plan so that I am using up all the food that I purchase. I'm not throwing anything away. Uh, that would go a long way. Uh, uh, in teaching our children a stress-reducing practice, uh, sugar, uh, putting, you know, uh, we have a tobacco tax, uh, um, uh, which decreases tobacco consumption and makes it uh, somewhat more manageable. Uh, having a sugar tax in uh, a white flour tax to make the high glycemic foods um, uh, more manageable, uh, I think would be helpful. Yeah. Amen to that. I a hundred percent agree with that. Where do you feel like I want to, I don't want to lose this concept because this is a new one that I've been really diving into since the pandemic, which is the power of human connection on healing. Where do you, I feel like with the social media, Zooming, our phone, we're connected, but we're not really connected. How can we use human connection to heal us? So the vast majority of us uh, need uh, person-to-person connection. There are a a very few number who who thrive and do well uh, living uh, entirely alone. Most of us uh, uh, will wither and need to have at least one other human in our life. Mm. And being able to see the face and read the uh, social cues we get from each other's faces mm. are uh, important uh, for that. Phones and letters, not quite as good, but still could be very helpful. Uh, finding a way to maintain that social connection and ideally that face-to-face connection, uh, very helpful. The more time we spend on our phones and social media, uh, science tells us the less empathic uh, we have, the less our social mm. skills are. Uh, and certainly, um, I think the uh, social media uh, and the lack of social skills, empathy, uh, the, ir- the irritability of our microglia are probably driving more anger, more rage, uh, and a um, shorter fuse to violence. And is that because we're comparing ourselves or is it have something to do? I heard recently something about the way that we scroll down 
Social media is not in alignment with our nervous system because we're meant to look horizontally, like out into the sunset kind of. Oh, that's an interesting thought. I'm not not aware of that. Yeah. Interesting thought. So, but because it, it, I I, I mean, I'm just speaking for myself. I can go to social media, see an old friend comments on something. I get a little dopamine rush because I'm like, oh, I haven't seen that friend in a while. That was a really neat interchange. But what I'm hearing from a lot of experts is that's really not human connection. That's just a a dopamine hit. Mm -hmm. And so how do we bring back human connection in this social media world? Uh, Schedule time face-to-face with people. Uh, Schedule time where you are not uh, on uh, a social media device. Uh, um, Think about having... 24-hour, 48-hour fasts away from social media. Um, I encourage people to uh, revisit going back to church uh, or your spiritual community, uh, your support group, um, uh, and have some regular interaction with your tribe, your family in some capacity. Yeah, that, that's been my 20... 20- 22 discovery is just how much more pleasure and oxytocin and joy I get when I'm in the presence of somebody I care about. It just is a deeper than zoom or, mm-hmm. or the phone can offer me. It's, it's yeah. really profound. So where to thank you so much again for just enlightening us all. And I, I also want to thank you for just being a pioneer in the autoimmune world. And really, I mean, you really brought to attend the attention to the world, how powerful diet is on, on all kinds of conditions. So I just have a deep, we've, we've made a lot of progress. You know, I I was a um, crazy, dangerous person in 2009 and 10. And now I'm seen as this uh, brilliant, innovative uh, uh, (laughs) scientist uh, in 2022. So we've made a lot of progress in 12 years. I love that. So I, I want to finish up on this. Um, this is the season in our podcast. We've been really emphasizing gratitude. What Do you have a daily gratitude practice? Oh, yeah, uh, ab- absolutely. You know, I love uh, as I fall asleep uh, and, I, and I'll visualize uh, some point in my life, uh, someone who has been uh, very supportive in some way, uh, and I'm thanking them. So I, I might start out. Uh, visualizing uh, my uh, parents uh, Mm -hmm. cuddling me as an infant or my father teaching me uh, how uh, to build a fence or my mom teaching me uh, how to make bread. uh, And then I'll go through various other aspects of my life, perhaps college or medical school, residency, my professional career. Uh, And it gives me an opportunity to visualize the gift Mm -hmm. that someone gave me uh, and to thank them. Uh, so lots of opportunity to thank my parents uh, for the many things that uh, they've done for me. It's a lovely way to fall asleep. Oh, uh, wow. uh, another thing that that we did during the pandemic, um, uh, so I, my daughter, our adult daughter moved back in with us during that time. Uh, and so before each meal, we would stop and each one of us would be grateful for something hmm. uh, that day. Uh, and that was pretty helpful. Um, uh, it's a very stressful time. Uh, Jackie, my wife was working, uh, in, uh, doing, helping with ER overflow. And so, you know, we had 
many concerns for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. We did, we've done something in my family over the years that I, my parents started with me and then I continued with my kids, which is every Sunday night was family night dinner and you had to be home. You could, you could bring a friend, you could bring people, but you definitely had to be home to commune with the family. And we started asking a question and it can be anything from, you know, a philosophical question to gratitude to a compliment. We've, we have had times where we go around the table and give a compliment to each person. And as, as cheesy as it sounds, it, it has been an amazing Mm -hmm. way to connect as a family. So um, I just, I, I love that. And uh, again, your your teachings are everywhere, but where do people find you? And I especially want to talk about this summit because yeah. uh, it's about hormones. And I really think our audience yeah. will love that. Um, so find me at terrywalls.com, T-E-R-R-Y, walls, W-A-H-L-S.com. And if you want uh, an overview of the diet, uh, just add terrywalls.com forward slash diet. And we'll, we have a great visual for that uh, on uh June 9th and 10th, uh, we'll have the next in our seminar series, and we're focused on hormones and mycotoxins. Um, uh, so we'll have some great uh, lectures uh, related to that. Uh, my two lectures that I'll be giving, uh, one will be on the consortium of MS Center highlights. So we'll be talking a lot about bowels, bladders, mm-hmm. and sex. That will be lo- uh, lots of fun. Uh, and then I'll be uh, covering the highlights from the uh, annual international conference uh, for IFM. Oh, I love it. I love it. I'm going to be tuning in. I think that sounds amazing. And um, we will leave all the links, all your links in the notes so people can get those. But Dr. Walls, I just, again, I have so much respect and admiration for you really leading the way for those of us that are trying to make an impact on with diet um, on the human health. So Thank you so much for being here with me and I'm sending you joyful thoughts and hope you have an amazing day. Thank you so much for joining me in today's episode. I love bringing thoughtful discussions about all things health to you. If you enjoyed it, we'd love to know about it. So please leave us a review, share it with your friends and let me know what your biggest takeaway is.